I am so excited to introduce to you Justin McRoberts today. Thank you so much for being with us. Pleasure. Happy to. So this year, as part of our 40-day blog, um, we read your book, May It Be So, 40 Days with the Lord's Prayer. Um, and many of you did reflections on that book, and we posted them. And let me tell you, our pastoral team was very excited when all of a sudden we saw the name Justin McRoberts in the comments section. And we thought, wow, your reflections got noticed by the author. Good. And so that's, that started a conversation, yeah. Justin. And, um, and you were available at this, this time to be part of our um, BIOS series. Yes. We're so excited. Um, Justin is the author of six books. Um, and his latest is Sacred Strides, yep. Journey to Belovedness and Work and Rest. Yeah. And okay. I, I love what you describe. You describe here, um, our natural posture is not work, it's not rest, but it's belovedness. A natural posture is belovedness. I love that. I love that. And you talk about the Sabbath in this book. I do. And of course, those, who have, those of us who are Seventh-day Adventists are so excited when other Christians are talking about the Sabbath. Um, so thank you for your affirmation there. My pleasure. Um, and we're excited. Now, you're not only an author, you're a coach, you're a songwriter, mm -hmm. um, and a podcast host, um, mm -hmm. the At Sea Podcast. Mm -hmm. um, people can follow you there. Yep. And Justin, most of all, I've appreciated you as a storyteller. Thank your you. Your stories have stuck with me. And we're excited you're here and sharing your story Absolutely. with us today. Thank you. Well, thank you, bud. Uh, yeah, Pastor Raywin asked that I share in kind of three, three phases, three tiers. Um, the, the one having to do with how God, and I love the way you phrase this question, is how God became important to me, and I'll talk about why that's an important question uh, and why I like the phrasing of the question. And then to talk about becoming a storyteller in the context of, the, of, of this bio series, and then to get in a little bit about how that gets executed now with six books in the whole mind. So the reason I like the word important in that question is because I would have said as, as, a, kid, as a kid who was, whoop, is that me? I don't think that's me, that's probably her. Um, <laughs> Good thing we're getting her out of here. <laughs> um, I would have said, like, as a person, as a, as a kid who was raised in proximity to religion, uh, like, my mom had grown up with religion. I had friends who did religious stuff. I, I, I would have said, I think, that God was probably real. I would have said that, that God is probably real. But God was not important to me. Because it's one thing to know that something is true... It's enough, I don't know what that's Let's try that. It's one thing to say that something is true or to know that something is true. It's a different thing to value that thing. Someone say amen. amen. It's one thing to say that's true. It's different to say that matters to me. And so we can talk about things like, uh, I, think, I think I'm good. I think I figured it out. It was hung up on this one whisker. I did a bad job shaving. Um, <laughs> Just this one whisker. We can talk about things like reconciliation and justice, and we can say that those things are true and necessary, but they don't necessarily matter to us, and that's why the world don't change. So I'm going to say amen. So I would have said that God was probably real, but it did not matter to me. So how did that change? I had this gentleman walk into my life when I was in junior high school. His name was Dave, and he was a Young Life leader. Anyone know Young Life? A few people? Anybody? Young Life is like youth ministry for kids who don't want to go to church, and that was me. 
Dave showed up on my junior high school campus and just started hanging out. And he would show up and he would ask questions about my life. What are you up to? And I would tell him that I was playing sports, which was kind of true. Uh, I was playing flag football, which is like football for kids who don't want to play football. Uh, and then Dave would show up at my flag football games, which is crazy sauce because like no one goes to flag football games. Your parents don't even go because they're embarrassed. Uh, they wish you were a real man and played football. Maybe that's just my journey. And when I stopped playing flag football and started doing theater, which by the way, says a lot about flag football. Uh, <laughs> Dave started showing up at plays that I was doing. Was he interested in flag football? Was he interested in theater? Not really. He was trying to be with me. And his presence, his constant presence over the course of six years, from the time I met him when I was 12 years old, that I was graduating high school at 18, when I made no profession of faith whatsoever, the fact that he was still there with me, said something to me about God that I had never thought of before. The God that I understood, as was presented to me by most of the religious culture around me, really needed me to change really wanted to maybe get a hold of me so he could accomplish something through my life. This God that Dave was representing just wanted to be with me and know me, and that was profound. I was just with my kids. I'm, I'm on a, I go home tonight. I was you know, away on a trip. I was just home with my kids for a while. I went and played disc golf with my son, and then I was doing some art projects with my daughter, and like, I like playing disc golf, and I like doing art projects, but you know what the value of doing those things was? Being with my kids. And in the end, when it all comes down to it, that's what our hearts desire. I want to be with you. Why do you show up here on Saturdays, on the Sabbath? I want to be with you. Could you do this at home by yourself? In a way, shape, or form, yeah, but the value of this is we get to be together. The heart of the Father is to say, I just want to be with you, and I had never seen it before. So now it's important to me because that's what I want. When I started asking Dave at 18 years old, so what is this thing that actually makes you tick? Sort of like the, the, the Pharisees started asking Jesus, by what authority do you do these things? You've spent six years hanging around my life. To, for, like, what makes you tick? And he would then answer uh, by way of story. He would tell me stories about his life, about women and men in his life who just poured into him. He would tell me stories from the Bible. And it was so important that he didn't give me answers. He gave me stories. Somebody say amen. Because there are truths of God, there are truths of human life that cannot be housed in mathematics. They cannot be captured by statistic. They cannot be, in fact, unpacked in an answer. There are truths about God and about who we are in relationship to God that can only be held in stories. In a story, there's room for conflict. Someone say amen. In a, in a story, there's room for nuance. Boy, is that a word we need to get back to in America. In a story, there's room for conflict, for nuance. In a story, there's room for doubt and disagreement. And that was the shape of my life. Did I believe everything I had heard about who Jesus was? No, but there was a story I got to belong to in which Jesus was king, and I didn't have to come to all the right conclusions and know all the right answers to belong to Jesus. Someone say amen. 
And so when I wanted to become like Dave, because I wanted to become like Dave, what I figured out was I wanted to be someone who made room in the world for the journey that people were on, so I wanted to become a storyteller. I didn't want to give people answers. I'd been around a whole lot of religious cats who had a whole lot of answers. I wanted to write and tell stories that provided space for people to enter into, like you said, that kingdom economy, that kingdom space in which there is conflict and there is nuance and there is room for doubt and conflict. And so I became a storyteller. And I would do that in song and I would do that on, on uh, you know, I would get up in front of congregations. I planted a church in Concord, California with one of my best friends and we became a storytelling space. The way that has uh, parlayed itself into this phase of my life is that this is why I write books. What I don't do with books, or I try not to do with books, I'm not trying to provide answers for, for the questions that people have. Because I don't think that's why people actually come to books. I try to, as best I can, in language, provide shape, space, and clarity for the story God is unfolding in your life. One of the things I think y'all will resonate with is if I do... I could show up this morning, we could show up this morning as a team, because we're a team, I'm on the team. Um, we could show up as a team this morning, music, presentations, and we could crush it up here. We could do a fantastic job and bring our A game. And it wouldn't matter a lick if you didn't have the work of Christ already being established in your life. Like, that's the ball game. So what I want to do with books and what I do with language is I try to write stories, I try to write books that help to clarify, to inspire, and to make room for what God is already up to in your life. So the book that you guys got into, that many of you got into, is a book called May It Be So. And it, it, was, it was not a book about prayer, it was in fact a prayer book. And if you, if you read through or, or saw the book, what you noticed was <laughs> there weren't a lot of words. It was tough to get a publisher to want to do this. <laughs> They're like, how many words are there? Like six. There are like six words in this book. But there were these very short prayers. They're like tweet-like prayers, so like eight, nine-word sentences. And what I had to convince the publisher of was this. It is more important what is going on in the lives of our readers than it is what's going on in the minds of our authors. I wanted to provide a tool by which you and I could get into the work that Christ is establishing in our hearts because that's where the kingdom lives and grows. Which brings me to this last note. Um, one of the stories in, in, the, in this most recent book, the book that she mentioned called Sacred Strides. It's a book that, it's, it's a series, it's like 15 stories about my journey in, in work and in rest. And um, I'll tell you, I'll, I'll give you like two snippets. The, the one is this. Uh, my entrance into Sabbath keeping um, did not come because I read the scriptures and said I will be obedient to the Sabbath. <laughs> That's not how it happened. I know. It's disappointing to me too. This is how it happened. I was tired. Someone say amen. amen. I, I was working hard because uh, I like to work. And my wife read an excerpt from a book by a guy named Mark Buchanan called The Rest of God, Restoring Your Soul by Restoring the Sabbath. 
She said, you should read this excerpt from this magazine about this book. And I said, I don't have time. How about that? I don't have time to read the excerpt. So she orders the book. She reads the book. She goes, no, you should read the book. I'm not, not going to read the book. Tell me about the book. She goes, this is about Sabbath keeping. I said, bleh. She said, okay, here's what I do. So she points to this weekend. Seven weeks out, she goes, on this Saturday, we're going to practice the Sabbath. I'm like, I don't even know what that means. Fine, and I agree to it. I don't agree to it because I want to do it. I just agree to it. Husband's with me. I didn't agree to it because I, I believed it. I just didn't want to fight with her anymore. That's <laughs> how y'all win. A week later, I get a phone call from a buddy of mine. He's like, hey, what are you doing this weekend? It's that same weekend. I said, I got nothing going on. Yeah. He's like, yeah, can you get to Kansas City to do this weekend of events? I'm like, sure. I'm like, what are you guys up to? He's like, yeah, the staff and I at the church, we just read this book by a guy named Mark Buchanan. It's called The Rest of God, Restoring Your Soul by Restoring the Sabbath. It's like, dang it. He goes, yeah, I'll send you a copy. I'm like, you do that. So he sends me the book. I don't read it. I read, watch this. I read an excerpt. And then I read the back page so I can get, and this was my religion at the time, I could get just enough of it to do the job. Got to Kansas City, do the events, and Dan, the pastor who had invited me, I said, hey man, you're real tired. I can tell you're tired. I said, yeah, it's just part of being an adult, which is a lie I'd come to believe. He says, why don't you stay an extra day? I'll eat your ticket. And I said, great, that's a good idea. I'll stay an extra day. He goes, just take some rest, the stuff you've been preaching. So I say, yes. The two minutes after I say yes, I get a text from my buddy who lives in Nashville, Tennessee. He's like, hey, can you get to Nashville tomorrow, which is the day Dan asked me to rest? I said, yes, I can get there. I said, cool, what you got going on? I'm at the airport now. Well, I'm coming to Nashville now. I just said no to my friend who's trying to take care of my soul. What do you, we got going? He goes, yeah, we're doing a retreat. Watch, you think you know. You have no idea. We're doing a retreat in Nashville for artists. I was like, hey, cool. He goes, yeah, we've flown in this speaker. He's an author. His name is Mark Buchanan. So I get there, and the artist they had originally hired to lead songs that they thought wasn't going to show up was there. So now I just got to sit at the feet of this author whose book had been chasing me around for six months. Three weeks later, I'm not practicing Sabbath, and I'm, at, uh, I'm in Angwin, California, and I'm at this school, and I'd never heard of a Seventh-day Adventist. <laughs> and these college kids are asking me why I'm so tired. And I'm looking at these 20-year-olds who take the Sabbath seriously as 20-year-olds. And it changed me. Because it wasn't a matter, watch this, it wasn't a matter of urgency that I needed it because I was all about bypassing my needs. It was about identity. These were kids who wanted to be Sabbath keepers because it was the shape of the heart of the Father. Dang. So thank you for your tradition. Thank you for the prophetic stance you take in this country to say this matters. We know it's confusing. We know it looks weird. But we're going to hold to it because it's who we are in Christ. You have changed my life. That book is a testament to, the, the, to your prophetic presence in the world as a culture and as a people.
So thank you. Pastor. Thank you so much, Justin. Let's stand for the reading of the word. First Kings 8, verse 27. But how could God possibly live on earth? If heaven, even the highest heaven, can't contain you, how can this temple that I've built contain you? The word of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. We humans love building temples. The temple archaeologists currently believe to be the oldest in the world is in Turkey. Dating over 10,000 years ago, the stone pillars at Gobekli Tepe are 18 feet tall and have carvings of snakes, foxes, ducks, and cranes. The ziggurat of Ur in modern-day Iraq stood 100 feet tall and was built around 2100 BCE. The ziggurat may have already stood in Ur for three centuries before God called Abraham to leave that place. My favorite Egyptian temple is the Dar el-Bahari simply because it was built by Hatshepsut, a female pharaoh. <laughs> In Mexico, there's the Great Pyramid of Cholula built between, get this, they were building this temple from the 3rd century BCE through the 9th century CE. It was dedicated to a feathered serpent god worshipped in uh, Mesoamerica. It's the largest pyramid by volume in the world today. India claims to have the oldest temple in the world that's been in continuous use. Ma Mundeshwari Devi Temple was built about 1900 years ago in the shape of an octagon, and people have been worshiping there for 2,000 years. We humans love building temples, don't we? Every culture, we do. Why do we do it? We want to set apart the sacred. We want to set it apart and define where it begins and ends. And we love our boxes, don't we? Our son, Eric, who's three, loves collecting things. Stones, sticks, his new helmet, bubble containers. And you try to take those things away, and you will not hear the end of it. He loves collecting these things, and um, our daughter... Eleanor, she just turned five, um, and for her birthday, she got a frozen Lego set. Perfect gift for a five-year-old. Um, and so we were on vacation this week, and we thought we would set, a, set aside time to build this frozen Lego set. Um, and the first stage uh, in the directions was to build a box. It was like a box that was like a book. You could open it, and then you would build the castle on this book, um, and so we built the box. Eric was very excited about helping us build the box. And then it became his box. And we could not finish this project because he would not let go of the box. And so right now, all the pieces for Elsa's castle are in this box, um, but we're gonna have to find a time where Eleanor and I 
can finish the project um, because it is now Eric's box. There's something good about our human desire to build boxes. Boxes, after all, help us keep everything in order. When it comes to sacred boxes, the Hebrew Bible tells us that God invited Moses to build him one in the wilderness. Exodus 25 and verse eight says, they should make me a sanctuary that I can be present among them. God knows, God knows that the physical, the physical things that we hold on to helps us understand the spiritual realities. God knows that in order for us to sense God's presence, we need those physical reminders. We need that, that flesh and blood. And the same word, make me a sanctuary so I may dwell. That dwelling is the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus came, God came in the flesh, in the physical. God knows that we need that physical um, in order to understand the spiritual, in order to understand our relationship with God. God cares about our sacred boxes. God wants them to be as helpful as possible. How do I, I know that? Well, when you read scripture, there's so much detail in describing how we're gonna do this project. What is this going to look like? It's, it's as detailed, if not more so, than that Lego uh, description of how we're gonna build Frozen Castle. You put this and this and this and this and you're gonna build it all together. God cares. You know why else I know that God cares about our sacred boxes? He said, he told David that he wasn't allowed to build one. David, a man after his own heart, King David, he told the prophet Nathan, hey, I have this great idea. I've been going around and now I have a palace, but God is still in a tent and we ought to build God a house. And Nathan said, great idea. Do what's in your heart. You go for it, David. And that night, God gave the prophet Nathan a dream and said, Nathan, not so fast. You better go back and go tell the king I have a different plan. And Nathan tells the king, no, you know what, guess what, David, I'm so sorry. I know you're super excited about this box, but you're not going to be the one to do it. Your son, Solomon, is going to do it. And God says, I will build you a house. You wanted to build me a house, I'm going to build you a house. And your son, Solomon, is going to build the temple. Why? Why not? Um, in First Chronicles 22, verse 8, David explains to his son, but the Lord told me, you've shed much blood and waged great wars. You won't build a temple for my name because you've spilled so much blood on the ground before me. If the temple was to be a house of prayer for all people, it could not be built by a man of war. God cares about our box building. Our box building matters. Our physical structures matter. This sanctuary matters, and I'm so grateful that it's here and it's been here for over, what anniversary did we just celebrate? A hundred years, yes. It matters to have this physical space. God cares about this, and thank you so much to all of you who give financially and in other ways to, to make this place and this, this gathering strong. God cares about the boxes 
What we say about God matters. The physical structure that we create to worship God and to honor God, the words that we create, the doctrines that we speak, they matter. They matter because some are more helpful and some are less helpful. Just like having David the warrior make the temple would be less helpful. So God said, no, 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 let Solomon do it. That's gonna be more helpful. Our box building matters. The boxes are important and helpful. But guess what? Too many people have fought and died over boxes. Like my three-year-old. We have to be willing to let our frozen boxes go if holding on to them is preventing us from building up the kingdom of God. Solomon's temple was beautiful. It took seven years to build and it was covered with gold. You read the description, it's gold, 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 more gold. It was beautiful, but in his dedication prayer, Solomon asks this crucial question that we read today in 1 Kings 8, and I'll read the second part, 27. If heaven, even the highest heaven, cannot contain you, how can this temple, how can this box that I've built contain you? If heaven can't contain you. So in all our box building, we friends have to keep asking this question, how can this sanctuary continue? How can this church continue? How can these doctrinal statements continue? How can these books continue? The answer is they can't because God is bigger. I love the way Justin shared that a story is the way to hold truths about God while providing space for growth, for nuance, for possibility. Because the answers matter. We can have bad answers or good answers, but at the end, God is bigger than all of that. And a story is a way to make, allow God to be bigger than our boxes. I love the freedom that comes in the idea that as we grow and as we change, our tools, our temples, our traditions of connecting with God can grow and be shaped as well. This Sabbath, I want to invite you. I want to invite you to experience a God. Experience a God that's bigger than the box that matters the most to you. What boxes matter the most to you in your journey with God? I'm not saying give them up. This is a beautiful box. <laughs> and we're so grateful for your giving to continue to make sure we have this place to worship. Please don't give it up. But where else are you seeing God? Are you experiencing God in your workplace? Are you experiencing God with your children? Are you experiencing a God that cannot be contained even by the highest heaven? When you're watching Finding Nebo tonight, can you see a God that is pursuing you relentlessly? God is bigger than our boxes. Look for God to show up in ways that you don't expect. If you're available Monday night, starting this Monday on Zoom, I have two spots left in a six-week discipleship 
course that we're piloting with Southeastern California Conference. So if you don't even know where to start, but you're available on Monday nights in Zoom and you wanna grow deeper in discipleship and try out some new or different tools um, in growing in that walk with Jesus, let me know. God cannot be contained. We humans love our boxes, but God is always bigger, amen?